what we really try to do is bring hope, strength, and joy to these wish children and their families. And we know that we do that every day with every wish. We see that when a child's wish is granted, that they are responding better to treatment, that they are more positive afterwards, that they have this energy that they bring with everything that they do. And wish families often tell us that the children can't stop talking about their wish, no matter what's going on. And everything they do relates back to the wish. So that's really what motivates us every day is just seeing that when we are able to support, you know, it's a very small piece of this journey that a family and a wish child goes through, but we give it everything we can to make that as impactful as possible, as positive as possible to help that wish child and family push through whatever challenge that is in front of them related to their condition or elsewhere. I joined Make-A-Wish for a number of reasons, but ultimately I was brought up that giving back to others and serving others was just something you did. It was important and that's ultimately the purpose of life is to serve others. Welcome to the Data Binge Podcast, a library of discussions with technologists and business leaders focusing on the human relationship with technology. Three, two, Hello, everyone, and welcome to today's episode. If you are listening to this around the date this goes live, we are in the heart of the holiday season and approaching a new year, 2021. I know this year has been a hard one for so many of us, but there's still so much strength, hope, and joy to be captured within us and others as well. In today's conversation, we make some space for these ideas. Today's guests and I met and became friends through this very podcast series. He reached out to express some goodwill and gratitude for some of the discussions and guests that have given him energy. It reminded me of all the wonderful people and opportunities I've personally come across by having a bit of courage and kindness when reaching out to folks within or external to my own ecosystems. Positive new relationships and experiences are always at our fingertips if we can only just have the will to access them. I welcome you to a really special episode of the Data Bench podcast. Happy holidays, happy new year. And if you are listening on demand at a later date, wishing you the very best of your day or your evening and all it has to offer. And now for today's episode. Today's episode features Joe Forline. Joe is a senior manager of chapter advancement at Make-A-Wish America. Make-A-Wish creates life-changing experiences for children with critical illnesses. Founded in 1980, Make-A-Wish has granted over 330,000 wishes for children with critical illnesses in the U.S. and 15,800 wishes in 2019 alone. And if you are like me and you are or were vaguely familiar with the work Joe and his colleagues have been doing for children in the context of a wish and the experiences it can bring about, you'll hear more about all of this throughout the discussion today. When a child's wish is granted by Make-A-Wish, it helps build the physical and emotional strength needed to combat critical illness. This idea, making contributions of energy, gratitude, and love in the form of acts of kindness, are at the center of today's episode. Amazingly enough, Joe didn't start his career off in nonprofit. Joe brings with him both a Bachelor of Science and a Master's in Mechanical Engineering, and began his career as a product engineer at L3 Technologies, an aerospace and defense business. 
who provides solutions to the Department of Defense, the United States Intelligence Community, and NASA. You will learn more about what pulled Joe to make a wish, and you'll learn more about the idea of purpose and the very human emotions that come along with serving others, which is so central to Joe's ethos. If you are wondering how you can contribute to the welfare of others, or you are searching for something to be a part of that will enrich your life and the lives of others, you'll find this episode enlightening for you as Joe helps us navigate the essence of giving and the simplicity of the process. If you would like to contribute at any level or capacity to create a life-changing experience for a child with a critical illness, you can navigate to wish.org to learn more. Thank you so much for listening. And now I bring you Joe Forline. Joe, welcome to this episode of the Data Bench Podcast. Thanks for joining. Definitely, Derek. Appreciate you having me on. Excited for the call. This is a pretty special episode, not only for me, and I think it's special for you too. We'll be visiting some topics that I think you are extremely close to, that you've been really spending a lot of time generating impact for, that you just believe in so much. And inversely, there's a lot of things that in this conversation that I'm passionate about as well, but there's also this really interesting discussion around how we came to cross our paths. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's uh, there's golden nuggets of little things that have happened this year, right? I mean, I think everyone, I'm sure everyone was thrown in a loop in some way, shape or form, but relationships like this formed out of these kind of unique ways. So yeah, excited to dive in on that. You reached out via email to me and said that you introduced yourself and said that you were a subscriber to the podcast and you really enjoyed it. And coincidentally, we also have a friend, Drew Blanchard, your wife went to school with him at USC. He's my best friend essentially. (laughs) And we kind of found each other on Instagram and found that fact out, but you reached out and, and just showed a lot of gratitude for the impact and the things that I was discussing on the podcast with other guests. And that's kind of the gratitude is really how it this relationship generated is how I got, I became to know you like, it's crazy. And then we got on a, on a call and we, and we spoke and we started getting to this career discussion. Then I found out what you were doing at make a wish. So would love to find out more about what you're doing today at make a wish. Yeah, definitely. So I am acting as the senior manager of chapter advancement and our team, we are responsible for partnering directly with our chapters. So just to talk a little bit about our structure, we have 59 chapters based across the United States and we're a federated structure. So each chapter, they have their own board of directors and they operate autonomously in the sense that they are focused on their local territory and they are doing their own fundraising, granting wishes in their territories. But where it makes sense, we are collaborating at a national level and our team is helping to communicate what are some things going on at the chapter level that we want to maybe a best practice that we want to share with some of the other chapters or maybe some leadership lessons that we've learned in a certain territory that we feel would make sense in another area within Make-A-Wish. So our team is really partnering close with the chapters and specifically the CEOs. Our team also is focused on distributing out what we call in-kind resources. So let's say you have a gift card to do a shopping spree for a wish. Our team would basically manage the collection of all those gift cards across various vendors and then distribute them out based on a set of criteria that we have set in place. Our team is also responsible for gathering feedback from chapters. So how are we serving them best? Right. So we have a number of different ways that we support our chapters, whether it's some of their fundraising efforts, their wish granting efforts, 
partnering with maybe local corporations, a host of different ways. And we want to know how we're doing. So our team, we're doing regular feedback calls with those chapters. And then we actually do an annual survey to validate anonymously some of the things that we feel like we've tried to gather throughout the year. And then another thing we do, we try to recognize our chapters. And again, this is something that we don't do just once a year. We do it regularly, but once a year, we do what we call our annual conference. And when we can, we invite all of our chapters to our national office in Phoenix, and we celebrate all of their accomplishments throughout the year. So our team oversees the process of basically getting to recognize the chapters for various things that they've done. So it's a lot of fun. I've learned a tremendous amount in my two and a half years with Make-A-Wish. So many different ways that we've evolved just in this year with the pandemic. But yeah, excited to dive in in any of those areas a little bit more. When we first started to have discussions, and one of the biggest reasons why I wanted to have this time with you is because we're recording this on the 14th of December in 2020. So the holidays are upon us. And in the wake of a year that's been a lot of things have happened this year have been just very drastic for a lot of different folks. And your mission at Make-A-Wish has not changed. But in lieu of that mission, can you talk about what that is, what you guys do as an organization and at the chapter level, since you're really close to the chapter level, how each one of those chapters impacts that mission? Yeah. So our mission is it's laser focused. We together grant life-changing wishes for children with critical illnesses. That's all we do. It's simple. And that's what everyone is marching towards. At the chapter level, what that looks like is local teams that are crafted around being able to serve the communities that are within their territories. So we may have As an example, in certain areas, the need to be able to communicate with a Spanish-speaking population where maybe that's not as much the case in other areas. But we find that there is a strength in the localized approach of being able to grant our wishes and also having a huge volunteer base that is specific to each of those territories where we can grant wishes as effectively as possible to to ultimately serve all the, the children, the wish families in those communities. So the way I understand it now, it sounds like you have around 60 chapters just based upon some materials that you sent over while I was doing some research here. Your granting has granted more than 330,000 wishes since 1980. Just to kind of get some proximity to that, about 15,800 wishes in 2019 alone. What does a wish mean for the purpose of each and one of these different children that you're serving? Yeah, absolutely. So at its core, what we do is we grant wishes, life-changing wishes for children with critical illnesses. So we serve a community of individuals who, based on certain criteria, qualify for a wish. And oftentimes, these individuals have gone through a, a tremendous amount of trauma, whether that's mentally, physically, in other ways. And not only these individuals, these children, but their families as well. What we really try to do is bring hope, strength, and joy to these wish children and their families. And we know that we do that every day with every wish. We see that when a child's wish is granted, that they are responding better to treatment, that they are more positive afterwards, that they have this energy that they bring with everything that they do. And wish families often tell us that the children can't stop talking about their wish, no matter what's going on. And everything they do relates back to the wish. So that's really what motivates us every day is just seeing that When we are able to support, you know, it's a very small piece of this journey that a family and a wish child goes through, 
but we give it everything we can to make that as impactful as possible, as positive as possible, to help that wish child and family push through whatever challenge that is in front of them related to their condition or elsewhere. I joined Make-A-Wish for a number of reasons, but ultimately I was brought up that giving back to others and serving others was just something you did. It was important. And that's ultimately the purpose of life is to serve others. I have a personal story where I feel like a wish would have impacted our family positively. So my brother, Jason, he actually passed away when he was two months old. He had a heart transplant that actually went well. And he ultimately succumbed to sepsis and some other issues. He wouldn't have been in that age range of eligibility, which is two and a half years of age. But I truly believe that if he had made it to the age where he could have had a wish granted, that would have been a turning point, not only for him, but for our family. So that's something I keep with me every day. And just seeing the impact, the positivity that comes from these wish kids once they have their wish granted. Just seeing one wish story can get you through a really tough day where maybe you're just digging into data and it's not coming together or there's a challenge with a chapter that you're really wrestling with them and trying to figure out, hey, how do we tap into maybe the donor base in this community more effectively? You can watch a wish story and just be totally grounded and reminded why you come in every day. It's super energizing. And not only does that get me excited, but everyone I work with, anyone that you interact with at Make-A-Wish will say that it's the mission that brings them in every day. And then the people around that who rally around just granting these experiences for children. I'm really sorry to hear that, Joe. And I really appreciate you sharing that with with me and the rest of the audience. I was wondering what brought you... I mean, just your statement, you mentioned the purpose of life is to serve others. I think if someone were to ask me that what the purpose of life is, it it may (laughs) may not come out that way. And I think a lot of others, people may not, frame it that way or just their mission, their life mission for purpose is just different. And this is one of the primary reasons why I just had to have this discussion with you in the context of a wish. So there was a podcast that Make a Wish ignited that there was three or four episodes, The Power of a Wish. Yep. And I listened to one of the episodes while prepping for this discussion. And just to give some narrative, the wishes aren't designed as a terminal illness it's going to be terminal and it's an, like a last request from the child. It's essentially given to these children as they are in these terminal critical illness type of phases in their recovery. And it's meant to really invigorate the healing process and to bring them the strength that you talk of, the strength, hope, and joy in this healing process. This child in this episode, his name was Brody. He had some mass in his brain and the make a wish granted him a wish, but his wish was, it was very impossible. He wanted a dragon and he was in love with this, with Toothless from How to Train Your <laughs> yeah. Dragon. And my kids love, I love that cartoon. Let's just be real. I love it. My kids yeah. love it. Oh, yeah. So Caleb Chung, he's a toy designer. He invented the Furby back in the nineties and they make a wish, got a hold of him. And his whole mission was to design a toy that looked like the dragon, the Toothless yeah. from the movie. And then he reached out to DreamWorks and DreamWorks provided all the IP, the design IP, illustration IP to design this head. And they, they built this dragon, this toy for this child. And it was just ecstatic to him. And they did this audience reveal where they invited his class and his brother's class and all the doctors in this auditorium. And they revealed this, this dragon that he wanted. He didn't just want a trip to Atlantis, you know, or a trip yeah, to Disney. Right. He wanted this dragon. 
And that story, at 16-minute story, and I'll provide the link to the podcast in the show notes, really illuminated for me why it's so important to do this and, and the healing power of something like this. Do you have a favorite story of a wish that you heard that you just like to think about when you think about your purpose? Yeah, you touched on a lot of really good stuff there, Derek. First of all, I had not heard of that wish. And that's one of the beauties of this organization is so we've granted now globally in our history, 500,000 wishes. So there's no way that I'll ever be able to hear or see all of the wishes. So there's always something creative and fun that kids are coming up with. So I'm going to have to look at the link in the show notes when you post that because I haven't heard of that one. You also touched on another important thing where it's a common misconception. And I think this is based on when we were founded and how we were granting wishes at the time. But we grant wishes for children with critical illnesses, not terminal illnesses. And we're continually trying to change that narrative to help individuals who you know may not be familiar with Make-A-Wish or just heard about it one time. I actually thought that before I joined Make-A-Wish that we were serving or would be serving terminally ill children. And again, it ties back to the wish being this inflection point of where they really start to respond well to the treatment. So anyway, wanted to touch on that. A favorite wish. I have a colleague who says that it's like trying to pick your favorite child. It's an impossible task. There's a little boy named Gabe. I think he was seven years old and he wanted to be a Yosemite Park Ranger. I was a little jealous because I think that would be super cool. And someday, maybe later in my career, I'll be a park ranger. My wife and I, side note, love hiking and checking out new national parks. So that one resonates with me a little bit. Now, going back to this idea, when you talk about your purpose serving others, you didn't just graduate from college, then go into a nonprofit and devote your entire life to this thing. You worked in aerospace and defense for a time with L3 Communications over here in Los Angeles. You have an engineering background. Can you talk about the process of what pulled you from a typical capital markets industry to go into a nonprofit and do the work you're doing today? Yeah, definitely. And I think it starts earlier. As early as I can remember, my parents were bringing my brother and me to charity events. We would do walkathons at 6 a.m. on Saturdays. We would go over to retirement communities and, and sing Christmas carols and it would just be my brother and me and my mom. And, you know, we felt, you know, totally nerdy and we we're like, what are we doing here? But ultimately, I think that instilled values in us at an early age where that was important. When I was with L3, I started reading some organizational development books first couple of years out and I was working as a, a program manager. And one of the things that we did at L3 was create this voluntary young professionals group. And one of the things we did was we would literally call up the heads of high schools and middle schools in LA County and say, hey, we would love to come speak to your students about pursuing STEM degrees. It's really important to us at L3. We would love to share that and just try to inspire some of the students. So we did that for about a year and a half, and along with some other things with this young professionals group. And I found that to be the thing that got me the most excited of just participating with these other individuals. Ultimately, what I think we found was that while L3 was definitely supportive of what we were trying to do, we were fighting kind of a cultural battle that wasn't like culturally the norm at mm -hmm. the time at this particular location. One of my mentors at L3 had suggested a book, The Ideal Team Player by Patrick Lencioni. And it talks about the three principles of what constitutes an ideal team player. That's being humble, hungry, and people smart. So empathizing with people. And this book really resonated with me. And this kind of set me on this journey of following different organizational development books. 
that followed companies where they touted their culture as the reason why they were successful, right? A classic example is Southwest Airlines, right? They have this like renowned culture of how they recognize employees and really pour as much as they can into their employees, knowing that if if they do that, their employees will serve the organization and their customers to the best of their abilities. So to me, this led me like, oh, this would be really cool to work for one of these companies one day. So I basically went on to Sir Patrick Lencioni. He has a consulting group called The Table Group. And I just went to their website and emailed every consultant that would get back to me and said, hi, my name's Joe. I'd love to hear about your story of how you became a consultant at The Table Group. I'm a huge fan of the principles that you all preach. I'd love to see if I can join. During one of those calls, it was similar to this and just kind of sharing things that got me energized and excited. One of the consultants said, I used to work at Make-A-Wish. You should look at them. And I'm thinking to myself, like, no, 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 no. I don't want to work in nonprofit. I want to work for the table. Like, I want to work for you guys. But Mm -hmm. he planted that seed and he described the culture and what he had learned from working at Make-A-Wish and talked about the mission a little more. And I said, you know, I thanked him for his time and was still interested in joining this other company, but just went in and did a quick Google search and went to wish.org, went to their careers page. They had an opening for a project manager, which I love project management and wanted to stay in that type of role. Ended up applying that night and long story short, ended up joining and two and a half years later, it's been everything I could have expected and more. Funny full circle on that. Patrick Lencioni was actually one of the board members at Make-A-Wish. Southwest Airlines is on our board and you know one of our best partners. So I think that shows that those cultures like find each other and support each other, right? So it's been a really cool journey. That's a wonderful path for you. And you've shared that with me a couple of times. And I, I just have a lot of empathy for that path because I think folks get drawn into a specific industry or a career and they feel like they can't get out. They feel like they can't change the trajectory of their career, whether it be just the type of work they're doing or the place that they're working or the ecosystem of people that they're involved with. But I think that's very possible. And we met because you reached out to me and then we connected on LinkedIn and now we're sharing content and now we're collaborating and hopefully we're going to take this to another level and do a lot more amazing stuff as we get to know each other better. And I think that overcoming that type of fear of change, I think is important. Can you talk a little bit about, so, okay, working at L3 Aerospace and Defense, now you're a nonprofit, now you're you're helping these chapters grant wishes, the entire mission, everything you're doing is so different. How has this changed this last two and a half years, make a wish, how has it changed the way that you just look at the world, whether it be from a professional lens or from a human lens? Can you describe that? change, if any? I would say the main takeaway is kind of this enlightenment of how many people are out there, not just people, but organizations are out there trying to do good. We have so many partners, influencers, celebrities, corporations that are trying to do as much as they possibly can to help advance not only our mission, but the mission of other nonprofits that we interact with as well. If there could be a way to elevate the good that is going on that to me seemed behind the scenes before joining Make-A-Wish, I think that would be the most positive thing that could possibly happen. I can't overstate that enough, how blessed we are to work with thousands of partners and tens of thousands of volunteers. That is what I was blown away with. And again, like, you know, we won't 
take it into a different direction. But, you know, maybe these stories are just the ones that are not as appealing, but there really is so much good going on behind the scenes that you may just not be aware of the general you if you're not working for a nonprofit or part of the solution at, you know, if it's a, at a, an organization, a small business, just you personally, your family, it's important to you, right? That's been the biggest takeaway. And I'm continued to be surprised with the generosity that's shown, again, not only to us, but just to all the other nonprofits we interact with, others in general. That's definitely the biggest takeaway. I feel that whatever that is that you're describing, because me and you were kind of talking, and I mentioned that my father spent some time in prison, and I was really close to that problem. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the legal mm-hmm. system and the way that we imprison certain populations of people and the dynamics, the politics, all that stuff that goes into that. And just immediately you deflected and said, Oh, you should check out this nonprofit. It's in LA. I think you sent me a text to it. I'm going to check it out. It, it helps folks that have been in prison find jobs in like the local market. Yeah. But you did that on the fly in a 20 second back and forth. And that's not, I immediately was like, Wow, that, Joe is really close to this type of work. And I think that's just so important. I'd like to talk a little bit now about culture and gratitude and giving and all these things that are coming out of this culture at Make-A-Wish. And can you talk a little bit about this Mission Monday moment, if I'm saying it correctly? Yeah, Yeah. Mission Monday. Just because it's a good story. Yeah, it's a good story to get us into this discussion. Yeah, for sure. This was one of the things I was most excited about when I joined Make-A-Wish. So I just think in general, based on conversations, companies don't do a great job of bringing their entire employee base back to why that organization exists. And I think it's really important that companies do that as often as possible. Or if you're not doing that, employees will just naturally start to think about other things going on without reminding themselves that, hey, here's why we're here, right? So every Monday, it's super cool. We take 30 minutes and we invite a chapter to basically present on one of the wishes that they've granted in their community. And they'll tell us a little bit of background about the wish child, the wish family, how the wish was able to either activate the community or maybe a big corporate partner that we have. And it's important that it's on Monday because we want to start the week off with, hey, guys, here's why we're here, right? We're granting wishes. We're providing hope, strength, and joy. And we're doing this together, right? It's not just, you know, the national office we're providing in many ways support services to chapters, right? But it's not just the chapters, right? One of the pieces of this Mission Monday is a chapter will basically, and we ask them to do this and they don't have to, but we say, hey, if there's anything that we're doing well at the national office, like we would love to get that feedback. And if you could share that on the call so our whole staff could hear it, that would be really impactful for us. So we have these chapters saying, hey, these areas like are really helpful when you guys help us in these ways. And in these other areas, you know, we could be a little better in it, but here's where we are. And we're getting this, you know, critical feedback, this appreciation from our most important customer from the national office standpoint, which is our chapters, right? Mm-hmm. Every single week. So we're grounded in mission, we're getting feedback, and we're feeling the emotion of what we do. So just the fact that we do that repetitively on a Monday, that's one example of the many ways that I feel like Make-A-Wish does a really good job of reminding us 
you know, of the important work that we're doing. And this idea, not only you're building this proximity to how you're impacting your community and how you're impacting the children that you serve through wishes across this diverse population of chapters. And we'll get into diversity and inclusion, mm-hmm. I think, a little bit later if we can. But you have these axioms of gratitude, like you, a value award in the way that you give recognition and how you reinforce recognition and how you reinforce gratitude. Can you talk about other types of activities typically within the workflow of the week where you're expressing gratitude and how that yeah. makes you feel and how that makes the folks that you work with feel? Because I think this is important for other organizations that aren't nonprofits to really look at. Yeah. So I'd love to touch on those, Derek. So one of the things you had just touched on that I want to speak to is the value awards. So we have five values, being child-focused, having integrity, impact, innovation, and community. Those are what we try to strive for in the values of our organization. Our senior leadership team recognizes individuals who model this behavior on a quarterly basis. So we'll do an all-staff meeting every month, but at our quarterly level, we'll recognize these awards. What's cool about this is they are peer-nominated. So it doesn't have to come from a senior leadership team member. I can nominate any one of my colleagues. And I think that's really cool. And not only that, but there never seems to be any jealousy or anything like that, which you could sometimes expect at other organizations. I only say that because I've experienced like that sense within the room, but there's usually just pure joy and just the nodding of heads like, yeah, that individual did deserve that award. A really tactical example on one of the teams I was on at Make-A-Wish, we would start every week. So we would do a weekly team meeting. There was about 10 of us on the team. We would start the meeting with 15 minute round robin, talk about at least one win you had in the past week and thank one team member on our team that supported any of the work that you have in flight right now. So it's reinforcing, you know, what were some wins that we had and how is the team supporting each other to help us reach our collective goals? That's not something that I had experienced prior to coming to Make-A-Wish. I think ultimately it starts with leadership to set the tone. I share just a fun story. Please. So our current CEO, Richard Davis, he's the former CEO of US Bank. And I want to say they have 70,000 plus employees. So he had a long career at US Bank. I think he started there right out of college, worked his way up to becoming the CEO and was the CEO for 10 to 15 years before retiring. And then he joined Make-A-Wish. His first hour at Make-A-Wish, he was going to address all of the board chairs for all of our chapters at one of our national conferences. And I just happened to be working on a PowerPoint presentation that was going to be shared at the same session. And I met him backstage. He just walked onto the premise and hadn't met anyone. He asked me my name. He asked me where I was from. He shared that he was also from Southern California. And he said, see you later. You know, it was a 60 second interaction. I didn't see him for maybe two months. And the next time I saw him, he remembered who I was and where I was from. I say very that special. very special. Not only does he, did he do that for me, he did that for every one of my colleagues and every employee and individual he's interacted with. That's clearly important to him for him to know the individual, you know, and he's not this like photographic memory. He, that's an important skill for him to have developed. And he knows how important it is to recognize that every person working for Make-A-Wish brings value in some way. And by acknowledging that, that sets the tone. 
right? So that, I mean, that was like the talk of the organization. Like, wow, he remembered, like, it's important to note also that the prior CEO was the same way. And that when we were hiring this new CEO coming in, that this was something that was important to the organization. So Richard, not only Richard, but all of our senior leadership team, they start and end every all staff with thanking us for the work that we're doing. And it's sincere. And I think that's important. Again, these little messages and reinforcements of gratitude and appreciation that start at the top and flow down. Again, it energizes me. I know it energizes my colleagues. And I think it's something that in theory is easily replicated. In practice, it's a little bit harder, but it can be done. And if you know about these little tips and you're just really focused on bringing people in that can model these behaviors, you can turn the culture around in your organization if that's something you're trying to do. I really enjoy that anecdote, especially the examples of the value awards. And we have some similar things at Microsoft, although it's very different and I don't think it's as concentrated across these specific values. But when you are nominating somebody and it's a structured, I think it's a structured principle, these, these principles of value and like these, you know, integrity, et cetera. And you are thinking about people and you're thinking about behavior that they have that's aligning to these principles, it really forces you to start modeling. Like you have to model that behavior in your head before you can assign that behavior to other people as you are, you know, ranking them, et cetera, nominating them. But in that process, I think you're just changing the dynamics of your brain and how your psychology of how you think about those values. And then you start to think about yourself. I just nominated this person for integrity, for instance, is the behavior that I'm conducting right now in this current moment, whether it be at home or at the grocery store or at work, while trying to help this chapter grant this wish, et cetera, is my behavior. How does it align with this person I just nominated? And I love that idea of you being able to change your behavior because of this process. Absolutely. And to add on to that, I mean, this culture of gratitude, right? When you're almost forced to say, okay, oh, I know on Thursday, I'm going to be asked like, who helped me? Right. Mm -hmm. And I want to make sure I can answer that. You know, the first couple of times it's maybe uncomfortable because maybe you aren't thinking about that. Right. But then you get into this habit where like, you're looking for little instances of how are people helping you throughout your day? So you can answer that question in an impactful way. Right. Just that little change right there is you hit it on the head is you're looking for this behavior to be modeled. Then you're thinking, okay, how can I model that behavior as well? So again, there's the feedback loop. We have something at Microsoft and hopefully this is legal. I can share this information, (laughs) but it's basically how we're incentivized. We have these impact horizons and one, it's how, what impact have you created personally? You know, what Mm -hmm. you could talk about objectives, metrics, et cetera how you've leveraged the impact of others. So Mm. what value have others created that you were able to leverage to create additional impact? And then directly, what impact have you created for others to then leverage? Yep. So it's a cool exercise because when you're doing these quarterly reviews and your manager asks you, so can you tell us the three ways that you denoted impact? And you're thinking about, okay, personal impact, I hit these objectives, et cetera, milestones, whatever. How have it, what, and then you're thinking like, what impact have I leveraged from others? Oh, there's this really great diversity and inclusion talk, or this person talked about technology on this day or introduced this partner, this engineering company to go over this criteria. And that was very impactful for me. Cause I was, yep. and then finally it's like, what have I been doing for others? So naturally if that's how you're incentivized and you're forced to kind of categorize those impact horizons, you start to behave 
when someone says, hey, Derek, can you help me with this thing? You immediately say, of course, because there's a pathway for success if I help you. I think those are just really important things that that organizations are beginning to do. Yeah, absolutely. I wouldn't say we incentivize it in the way that you had just described. And Mm -hmm. I mean, I would be interested in this could be a fun little project for us to do at some point. And, you know, we probably won't, but you know, (laughs) if we were to, I mean, of all the things going, but if you were to incentivize it, how would that change? You know, could that push us even further into this space of like creating this culture of gratitude? Right. Yeah. A quick side note, we do incentivize it in this particular way that I wanted to touch on earlier, actually. The culture really demanded an app and not actually demanded, but welcomed the use of the app. We call it the Kudos app. And each employee is allotted some number of points that can be converted to dollars for gift cards or you know Amazon, whatever. But you're allotted a certain number of points per month. And at the end of the month, those points expire. So essentially, let's say you had... that you could give out to others every single month. And if you don't give it out, then that $20 goes away. You're going to want to give that out, right? But not only that, it forces you to, again, regularly think of ways that others are helping you and ways for you to recognize them. So this is just another way for you to recognize them. You just go into your app, you can send some number of points to them, and you just write a little message. It links to our values. So which values of Make-A-Wish did their behavior align with. You can do it publicly for everyone to see and give that public praise, or maybe it was something really small and personal and intimate. And hey, thank you for having that conversation with me today. I really needed to hear that. And you can send a private message and some kudos as well. So in that way, we do incentivize employees. I think it's highly effective. But again, that's one piece of a larger cultural puzzle that we've been working on. I mean, that is a true incentive. And I know there's a different spin because it may not be wrapped up in the way that you're paid per se. And I can't say directly that that's how it works at Microsoft. There's a lot of nuance there too. It just, you have to kind of start to categorize something in terms of the value you bring to the organization. But in terms of the, just the raw gratitude of this kudos app and, and based upon just some quick, and I'll put these links in the show notes as well, but Harvard has a mental health letter and they talk about how giving thanks makes you happier. And they talked and there's a, several different studies. And one of yep. them is the couples that took time to express gratitude to each other, to their partner felt more positive toward the other person and also felt more comfortable expressing concerns about their relationship. Managers who remember to say, thank you, just a very simple exercise to people who work for them may find that those employees feel more motivated to work harder in terms of how gratitude changes your brain, Berkeley did some studies and I'm not a neuroscientist, but this was interesting to me. But when people feel more grateful, their brain activity is very distinct from the brain activity that they experience when they are feeling guilt and they are in a negative place. But more specifically, when people who are generally more grateful gave more money to a specific cause, it showed greater neural sensitivity in their Mm. medial prefrontal cortex. And that's the area that is associated with learning and decision-making. So yes, I think gratitude and building through technology, through empathy, through availability, accessibility to a culture of gratitude is just going to create a far more high performance and more giving, happier group of people. Yeah. Without question. When we talk about, and I, I know we're kind of closing up here on the rest of the discussion, we talked a little bit about, you have these different 60 chapters. 
I can only imagine the chapter in Georgia is going to look different than the chapter in Tempe. Yeah. Yep. You know, so, <laughs> so is there a, and I'm sure we could ask headquarters of franchises and other different types of kind of corporate development arms that take care of different locations across the U.S., but specifically to giving. Have you noticed any trends or any evolutions in the diversity inclusion environment? Are there things you've noticed for the good, things that you think other organizations should consider? I'd love to just talk about that a little bit. Yeah, definitely. Going back to when I joined Make-A-Wish, this is one of the learnings I had. So if you look at our senior leadership team, at the national office, for example, there's 11 senior leadership positions and seven are female. So that I would say is pretty atypical for the standard for-profit organization, right? And if I were to boil down like, okay, what is the main difference you've experienced? I would say that empathy and compassion are at the forefront of conversations more so than they were at other organizations I've worked with, divisions, what have you, right? Not that those things didn't exist because they did for sure, but it would take a little bit of work to get to those values where at Make-A-Wish, we're constantly having the conversations of, okay, well, we put our entire employee base through change management training, right? So we go through, we use ProSci and AdCar, right? And we walk through these different principles of change management to ensure that, okay, if we're going to be rolling out a new project, we're going to be rolling out a change, whether that's with our volunteers, with a chapter, with a partner, are we thinking through all the different ways that they're going to be impacted from this? And how can we ensure that this is like as seamless as possible? So, that, so that's an example of how just seeing the different structure with the leadership team, just from a gender standpoint, I've experienced a difference. I would say that we could probably still there's there's definitely room for improvement in the diversity of ethnic backgrounds just across the board at Make-A-Wish. That said, we are doing a number of different initiatives to try to improve in this space. We give an award to chapters based on what we call our diversity and inclusion innovation award. So what are some ways that chapters are trying to diversify their hiring practices or bring on a diverse volunteer base. And then what we really try to do is take the best practices that we've learned from what our chapters are doing locally and spread that to other chapters, right? Or adopt that elsewhere where it makes sense. And I think I touched on this earlier, but again, we have a certain population of wish child and family that we serve that speak Spanish, right? So one of the challenges we face is how do we make sure we have enough Spanish-speaking volunteers to support granting the wishes of the Spanish-speaking families? And then what are some chapters doing that we could take that and adopt that elsewhere? So there's definitely room for improvement in that space. But I think Make-A-Wish has done a really good job, at least my experience, in having those conversations and addressing those shortcomings, I guess is the word, head-on, really. I mean, we took a firm stance with the Black Lives Matter movement. Mm-hmm. Our senior leadership team has been adamant in different ways that we are going to continue to push in terms of diversifying all of our different stakeholder groups. And I've just appreciated the transparency that they've had with all of that. And, you know, that gives me confidence that we're moving in the right direction. Some incredible things you guys are doing. It's no doubt. For folks that want to help the organization that want to help create a wish for a child in any chapter across the U.S., 
what's the best way to contribute? And I guess, how could they expect their dollar or their contribution to go into this wish? Yeah, for sure. So I would say the first thing is go to YouTube and type in your favorite influencer or celebrity and make a wish and see what pops up because you'll get a ton of fun stories of all of your favorite people that you follow. Maybe it's an athlete. Gordon Ramsay just did a fun promotion last week that's supporting Make-A-Wish. So that's what I love to send people to first because, again, there are so many just fun ways that celebrities, organizations, influencers are interacting with us that I think that's really the way to invite people in is if this isn't an organization, and you know that's not just for Make-A-Wish, but across the board. If you're looking for an organization to support, you have to find the way that you're going to be kind of tied to that organization. So that would be first. But most importantly, I would send you to wish.org. You'll have all the information on the website, whether you want to donate financially, you know, with airline miles, car donations, there's a number of different ways that you can support us. And we always just invite donors to interact with us in a way that makes sense for you. You know, maybe that's your time, maybe that's financially, maybe that's in some other way. We invite you to reach out to us. Wish.org is the place to go. Look for some of those fun stories because I think that's really how people see the true power of a wish and see how their interaction with us, you know, how their interaction helps these wishes come true. This is really cool. This is really cool, Joe. As we're tying up, and you would know because you've listened to a couple episodes, if you had seven days and unlimited resources, what problem would you look at trying to solve or make impact into? Yeah, I think we touched on it earlier, but it's just the communication of the good out there. I think that just gets buried under all the other things going on and whether that's agendas or, you know, whatever the reasoning is, but there's just so much really cool, fun, good going on. And I think it's a problem. And the thing is, is that that's totally solvable and, you know, we will need a lot of resources to do it. But the main thing is just bringing the right leaders together to say that this is the problem that we need to solve. So yeah, that's what I would do. Just coming from a family, just an add-on to the question, coming from a family where you were doing walkathons on Saturday mornings, what can I do? What can a, any regular person do tomorrow or this weekend? Or is there a certain pathways or a certain way to look at things? It, it seems like it's so hard for us to do volunteer service. And then there's this whole... Like, okay, who, where are we going to donate to this year? It seems like it's so hard because of this lack of information that you're describing. Is there like an easy way to look at this other than going to some of the links you've provided that a framework or something that we should tell ourselves about why it should be easier? Or? Yeah, I think the easiest thing is, I mean, make a list of your five favorite things. Maybe you like playing video games. Maybe you like hiking. Maybe you like cooking. And you just type that, type volunteer and type your city in Google and see what comes up. That's the easy part. People don't think to do that, but really it's as simple as you'll find 20 nonprofits that pop up with that simple search. The hard part is not getting involved, but the time it takes to maybe go to a few events or to interact with the individuals at the nonprofit and say, this is the one for me, right? So that's the piece that may take a little bit of time, but a story I'll use, and I may have I may have met Drew at this particular event, but there's an event, it's a surfing event called Life Rolls On. And it was founded by a former pro surfer, Jesse Billauer. And he was on his way to become pro. 
he hit a reef, became paralyzed from the neck down, and he was so devastated from this. But a few years later, with the help of other pro surfers, Kelly Slater and the whole bunch, they created an adaptive surfboard and helped basically ride on the back of this surfboard with Jesse. And he said it was the first time he felt alive again. And he founded Life Rolls On. We're now today internationally, there's like 20 events in a year. They take individuals with different spinal cord injuries and other conditions surfing. And you could sign up as a volunteer and you can help paddle these individuals out and ride on the back of the board. And it's a full day on the beach. This sounded awesome to me. I don't surf, but a volunteer event on the beach in Santa Monica, that sold Sounds me. Sounds very cool. <laughs> and that's how I met my wife. She was on the volunteer team. And so we connected through that. And it's just a fun story where it's just think about the things that you already are currently enjoying, right? Don't force it. But if there are certain things that you enjoy doing now, there's a way to help others who maybe are not as privileged or as lucky as you may be to enjoy and experience the things that you get to enjoy and see if there's a way to give back. And I think ultimately you'll find that being able to interact with that thing that you enjoy and helping others will just exponentially make you appreciate that thing even more. Well, Joe, you, you have such a wonderful ethos and I'm ecstatic to share this episode with others. And we put this together pretty fast just because the holidays are coming up. And I was thinking about a really good way to give back and to create some more visibility into folks that are having a harder time figuring out how to contribute and how to make an impact in the lives of others. And I think you're a, a prime example of that and just a, a good soul and a, and a great conversationalist. How could folks get a hold of you if they'd like to? You're pretty active on LinkedIn. How can they follow you or interact with you, reach out to you? Yeah, you could send me an email, j4line at wish.org. You can send me a LinkedIn message and Derek, feel free to share that in the show notes. But yeah, either of those two will most likely get to me. So I'd love to answer any questions if you have them about getting involved with any nonprofits, any of your thought process on that. So yeah, please feel free to reach out. Hey, thanks so much, Joe. And to everyone else that's listening, if you get this before the holidays conclude, happy holidays and happy new year. Thanks so much for having me, Derek. Appreciate it. Thanks, Joe. All right, everyone. Thank you so much for listening today and having some fun with us in the podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, please follow me on LinkedIn or at DRUSS Network, D-R-U-S-S Network on Twitter or Instagram. And you can also reach out to me anytime via email at Derek at thedatabinge.com. The Data Binge podcast is a personal thought form where we share knowledge and ideas. Views and opinions expressed here do not reflect those of my employer, Microsoft. I really hope you enjoyed. Thanks a lot.